Let's read this account, first of all, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. So just as Jesus' ministry is starting, uh, we read this account. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So there's a demonstration of our triune God. The Son of God being baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove and landing on him. And the voice of God the Father speaking at the same time. Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Why did Jesus insist on being baptized by John? John's baptism, as John mentioned here, was a baptism of repentance. But Jesus was sinless and had no need of repentance. Even John was taken aback at Jesus coming to him for baptism. John was aware of his own sin and knew that he, a sinful man, in need of repentance himself, was unfit to baptize the spotless Lamb of God. So the purpose of John's baptism was to bring into being a people, a people of God prepared for the coming Messiah. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that John would come, and he fulfilled those prophecies about himself. So what he was doing was preparing the way for Jesus to begin his ministry. And he brought people to the point of repentance. That's what was important. And John said that his baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
it didn't bring the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit didn't become available until Pentecost. So people were baptized then, but it was different. That included the coming of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the, in the believers. But this was just a baptism of repentance. As it said in verse 6, these people repented. They confessed their sins. So the purpose of John's baptism was to provide an occasion for people to humble themselves, confess their sins, get right with God, and get ready for the arrival of the Messiah. This group of people would have a new identity. And it wasn't to be based on their Jewish heritage, as he pointed out to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was going to be determined by their repentance. There was no salvation and no security in claiming your lineage from Abraham. God, as he said here, was free to choose who his people will be. God can determine who his saints will be, even out of rocks, if necessary. These saints that were coming to John for baptism are not identified by who their ancestors were, but by their repentance and the fruit that comes from their repentance. So this was not the ultimate baptism. That wouldn't take place until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit became available. It was only teaching people about repentance in preparation for the beginning of the ministry of the Messiah. In fact, hold your place there, and I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 1. John's baptism was very important, preparing these people to become followers of Jesus. But it didn't include the Holy Spirit. We read this interesting account here of Paul. Acts 19 and verse 1. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, this took place later, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? This took place after Pentecost. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So on hearing this, these people that he stumbled upon were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So John's baptism brought people to the point of repentance, just to prepare their spirit, to prepare themselves for what Jesus was going to teach. And hopefully they would become followers of Jesus. But it wasn't involving the Holy Spirit at all. That wouldn't come until Pentecost. Yet this baptism by John the Baptist of Jesus is a pivotal point in time because it is the beginning of the end of the Old Covenant and it's ushering in the New Covenant. And I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 16. Luke 16, verse 16. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said here, the law and the prophets, in other words, the Old Covenant, were proclaimed 
until John, John the Baptist. And since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. So John's baptism not only fulfilled prophecy, he not only prepared the way for Jesus, teaching people about repentance and getting their spirits ready to become followers of Jesus, but it is also a kind of turning point in history. It's a very important point because the law and the prophets were preached until John. In other words, the old covenant came to a turning point right now. And Jesus began preaching the kingdom of God and salvation. So back here now to Matthew 3. So why is Jesus here with John? John the Baptist to be baptized. Well, he says something interesting here. When John the Baptist at first refuses to baptize him because he doesn't feel he's worthy to baptize Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, he says in verse 15, Jesus says, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus never sinned. He didn't have anything to repent of, but he allowed himself to be baptized because Jesus saw his life as the fulfillment of all righteousness. He participated in the baptism of repentance, even though he had no sins to repent of, because he saw his baptism as a part of fulfilling all righteousness, something that had to be done for him to complete his ministry. So the righteousness that he came to fulfill was not his own righteousness, but the righteousness of every sinful person who ever lived or will live. So get this, Jesus came to earth, <laughs> the Son of God, fully God and fully man, to die for us. Amen. He rose from the dead for us, for our benefit. He was also baptized for us. Okay? Now, Jesus knew the prophecies about himself and the righteousness that he would bring. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 11. Isaiah 53, verse 11, this is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, by his knowledge, God, speaking about his son, my righteous servant will cause many to be accounted righteous. So Jesus Christ came to this earth, was born, was raised, had his ministry, went to the cross, buried, rose from the dead, finally ascended back up into heaven to bring us his righteousness. Amen. Now we know what Jesus has done with his righteousness, he has credited it to us. That's how we can be saved. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. Romans 4, verse 22. When it comes to salvation, we cannot rely on our own righteousness to be saved we count on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness which he credits to us. Paul says this in Romans 4, 
and verse 22. It says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, Jesus, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So everything that Jesus came to do during his life here on earth was for our benefit. He gave himself over completely, whether it was the suffering, whether it was the baptism, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, everything was done for our benefit. And by his ministry and all that he accomplished on this earth, his righteousness, he never sinned, he had perfect righteousness, has been now credited to us if we believe, if we put our faith and trust in him. Yeah, we should be baptized when we first come to believe. And he has credited his righteousness to us. Jesus was sinless, yet the sinless one bore our sins, not just our sins, the sins of the whole world. You see, he, he bore the sins. He paid the penalty for sins, not just for Christians. He actually did it for everybody. Now, we have come to see that, and we believe it, and put our faith and trust in that. Now, there's a lot of people in this world, you know what, Jesus died for them. He paid the penalty for their sins. But for some reason, either they reject that, they say thanks but no thanks, or they don't think that they're sinners. (laughs) They think they're pretty good people, and they don't need a savior because they compare themselves to people they see around them who are worse than they are. So they have pretty good feeling about themselves. Savior, religion, Christianity, I don't need that. That's, that's for people who feel they need it. People who might be weak, you know. I don't need that. Well, they do. But for whatever reason, they won't accept that and they won't believe it. And you know, that's the ironic thing about our journey through this earth. It has hit us. I mean, it's sunk in. Yeah, we're sinners and we need a Savior. And we need Jesus to be that Savior. Because the only way you're going to get to heaven and into the kingdom of God is to be perfectly righteous. Perfect righteousness. You know, when you die or when Jesus returns and judgment time comes, what is the basis of that judgment? A lot of us think that, and we've been taught, you know, over the years that, well, you know, there's this set of scales, and God puts all your good deeds on one side, and he puts all your sins on the other side, and then he sees how they balance out. And if you have enough good, good things that you've done, if it outdoes out the bad things, you're entered into the, into the kingdom of God. That's not the way judgment takes place. There's only one way to get into heaven, and that's to have perfect righteousness. And if you're going to rely on your life and the deeds that you think you've done, you're doomed because they're not good enough. Scripture says there is none righteous. No, not one. And that includes all of us. 
We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the only way we're going to get into a heavenly reward is by Jesus' righteousness. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. Light. So we have to humble ourselves and admit that we're sinners. And you see, these people coming to John the Baptist, they were able to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins. So somehow, God brought them to the point that they realized that they were sinners and they wanted to be washed of those sins. So John the Baptist baptized them. But it wasn't a baptism to salvation yet. It was just bringing them, getting them used to being repentant of their sins as we all were when we were baptized and as we all should continue to be. But you see, we also know that we're saved by God's grace and by the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus credits somehow his righteousness to us. And thereby we have perfect righteousness because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Something we could never work up or achieve on our own. So when judgment time comes, the only way you're going to get in is by having the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, which he is happy to bestow on you. So God's purpose, Jesus was baptized for our sake, not for our own, not for his own rather. His baptism, like his death and his resurrection, was an expression of God's grace towards sinful humanity. When we are baptized, we're baptized into the baptism of Jesus Christ, a baptism that is linked to Jesus' sinful life. So he takes on our sins. That's why he was baptized, because he wasn't being baptized for himself. He was being baptized for us. And he did it on our behalf. So the Son of God became one of us in order to be our substitute and to pay our penalty for our sins on the cross. He is the representative of the human race. And he lived the perfect life without sin, and he paid the penalty for all sin. And that's why he has perfect righteousness. So when judgment time comes, it's Jesus Christ that we rely on. I admit that I'm a sinner, but I have a savior. Jesus Christ and I have my faith and trust and confidence in him and he has bestowed his perfect righteousness on all believers so that's the only way we can make it into heaven and that's the only way we can come through judgment and anybody who thinks that they can come through final judgment on their own forget it they've lost they've lost and God grants this gift to us free of charge it's grace it's an unmerited pardon that god gives us of all the sins that we've committed and you know i don't know about you but knowing people friends relatives who don't believe and they're struggling day to day and they're depressed because of the sins the addictions that they have they're struggling through life they're thinking you know, what's worth living anymore? And you just want to, to kind of grab them by the, the lapels and say, listen, 
we all have a savior, Jesus Christ. It's not going to cost you anything. You just need to go to him in a repentant, humble attitude. Admit that you're a sinner, and he is anxious to become your savior. All you have to do is ask for it. It's very simple. It's not rocket science, but it does require a certain amount of humility to admit that you're a sinner. But Jesus is ready and willing to save. Unfortunately, we read in the Bible that the way it turns out that there are going to be a lot of people who take advantage of the offer. But there's also going to be a lot of people who don't. And the Bible talks about hell and it talks about, you know, people suffering in anxiety and uh, finally death because they don't accept Jesus as their savior. And I think to myself, who in their right mind hearing this good news about what Jesus came to do for us and offers to us for free, why wouldn't anybody not take advantage of that? But the Bible seems to say that there will be people who, who will not take advantage of it. You know, another thing about Jesus' baptism here, since Jesus did this on our behalf, and as our substitute, and as our representative, when Jesus comes up out of the water, and we hear and see the combined efforts of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus himself. It's a beautiful sign of the triune nature of our God, one God in three persons, which we don't understand completely. I don't think the human mind can, but Jesus came to reveal the way it is about the nature of God. When Jesus came up out of that water and what God said about him here, a voice from heaven, verse 17 of Matthew 3, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now Jesus as our representative brought that commendation from the Father and the love of the Father, not just to him, he's representing us, this is the same thing that God now says about all of us. If Jesus Christ is your savior and you've claimed him to be, and he's representing you now before God, and he says to the father, you know, this is my beloved son or daughter who is now saved, whose sins are now forgiven, God the father says, this is my son, this is my daughter whom I love with whom I am well pleased. He says that about you and me. Not because of us, not because of anything we've done to deserve it. He says that about us because Jesus Christ represents us. Jesus Christ is our stand-in, if you will. But because of his righteousness, which he has credited to us because we believe and have faith, God the Father feels the same way about each and every one of us. He loves you, and in you, he is well pleased. You know, we just focus on our shortcomings and on our sins, but this is the way God feels about us because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And he doesn't just feel this way about us. He feels this way about everybody in the world. And he is just waiting for them to come to him and claim Jesus as their Savior but he still loves everybody. 
the sinners, uh, the criminals, and this is a message that, you know, sometimes when people finally hear it, it blows them away. How can God love me through Jesus Christ? I'm just a criminal. I'm sitting here in jail. How can God love me? Maybe I've even killed somebody or, or performed a great crime. How can God love me? Well, in spite of your sins, he loves you because Jesus, your stand-in, is loved very much by the Father. And through him, we are also loved. So like I said, if you're counting on your personal goodness to get you into heaven, it just isn't going to happen. That's why we need to trust Jesus for our salvation. It comes only through him and not through our deeds. If you've done good deeds, great. That, that's wonderful. But good deeds, and hear this, even your law keeping is not going to get you into heaven. Amen. It isn't. Only one thing gets you into heaven. And that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which he is ready to credit to you if you'll only believe. That's why they call the gospel good news. This is tremendous news. I don't care what kind of a sinner you have been, and we all have been sinners, and you know what? Still continue to sin. And in spite of all that, God is willing to shed his grace on us, undeserved pardon, and credit us with all the goodness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has proclaimed us, in spite of our sins, not guilty, because he took our guilt. What more can you ask? What more can you ask? But unfortunately, to a lot of people, this message is clouded because, you know, they think, uh, I don't want to go to church because I don't like church people. They're stuffy and they're self-righteous and I don't want to, you know, it, it upsets me to come in the midst of them. You know, if only the message can get through to them somehow. And that's why it's important that we live as Christians. And maybe people who will never go into church see our example, see the joy that we can have, see the peace that we have, which is all a gift from God, through our belief and through our faith, and somehow start to ask questions. You know, in the midst of all that's going on in the world and in our country, how can you have such peace in your life? How can you come to work and be happy? Well, that opens the door for them to hear the story of what we believe and what God has done for us and how God has changed us. And you know what, I'm just as a sinner just as you are. But nevertheless, I chose to respond to God's calling. And you should too. You're going to see improvements in your life. So we're not perfect. We don't even come close to being perfect. Jesus is perfect. And it's his righteousness that has been credited to us. It's his commitment to us, his faithfulness to us that saves us. It's not our commitment to him. And it's not our faithfulness to, to him. Because you know what? Our commitment and our faithfulness waver from time to time, don't they? And we have some people sometimes who you don't see in church for quite a while, and they're off dealing with other issues in their life. The commitment wavers, and they question themselves. But you know what? It's Jesus' faithfulness and commitment to us that never wavers. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we participate in his perfect commitment and faithfulness to God on our behalf. 
So he stands in for us before the throne of God. So with Jesus Christ as our savior, there's no way we can lose. There's no way we can miss out. He is the one that we count on. He's the one that we put our faith and trust in. So why was Jesus baptized on our behalf? He didn't need to be baptized, but he did it in our place and as our substitute. I've had people over the years come to me who were baptized and they say, Pastor John, I have doubts about my baptism. I don't know if I really repented enough. Uh, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Even when I was being baptized, I had some bad thoughts on my mind. And should I be baptized again? Maybe next time it'll kick in. And uh, I've known of people who have been baptized four or five times in their life. Unnecessary. Yeah, be baptized. But beyond that, know that Jesus also was baptized for you as your stand-in. And his was the perfect baptism. So don't have any doubts. People say to me, you know, I was baptized and I'm still struggling with some issues and some sins. Don't have any doubts. It was good that you were baptized, but you know what? Jesus was also baptized for you. So we put our faith and trust in that as well. And get on with your Christian life. Let the Holy Spirit do its, his work in you, and it will happen. Be patient. So Jesus' baptism was not because he sinned, but it was fully for our benefit. Let's give thanks in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We're learning so much about how profound Jesus' life here on earth was. We read about all the things that he did, all the things that he experienced, and every aspect of it was really for our benefit, for the benefit of the human race. He suffered the things we deserve to suffer, but he did it in our place. He was baptized in our place. A matter of the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he's in perfect relationship, not only with you, Father, but with the Holy Spirit. And their relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an example to us as to what our lives should be like, how we should get along and be unified in the church, how we should get along and be unified even in our families at home. And instead of turmoil and disruption, there should be peace and love. So, Father, so much we have to learn, and we thank you so much for sending your Son to us to become one of us, to experience the things we experience and to come through is perfect righteousness. And what a gift that is for each and every one of us. We know we don't deserve it. We know to an extent we're still sinners, but nevertheless, you've blessed us in this way. And we'll thank you for all eternity, for your grace and mercy and love. We love you and we pray this now in Jesus Christ's name, amen.